I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It is Sunday, which means it's time for the front free Q&A with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Sunday. Statman Dave is here as well. Where the heart is. As is Chris Hennich. Evening. So guys, you've been sending in your questions on Twitter. Because it's National Week, you know, it's not that exciting. We wanted to get into your questions. Let's get straight into it. The first one, a really good one here from Ryan Gibson, 1995. Who will be the next Premier League manager to get the sack? Obviously, there's a few candidates. Um, David mm, Moyes, of course. Good. Bob Bradley, Ooh, you'd say. Harsh. Uh, I know, but I think you know he's up there. He's he's probably up there with the the, the bookies' favourite. <laughs> he's uh, up favorites, there. I should say. He's at home, like oh, thank God, I'm up there. <laughs> and uh, I suppose maybe Mike Phelan, although he may have bought himself a reprieve uh, based on last week's result. Um, I'm going to go for it's the obvious answer David Moyes um, but I wouldn't be too surprised with the way things are going if Bob Bradley uh, doesn't last uh, beyond the end of the year to be honest um, what about you Lawrence? Do you not feel that Bob Bradley was a little bit sort of bought in on a ship which already felt like it was sinking so he needs a bit of time maybe and also yeah, we're well, only definitely... the international break I feel that's like a little bit harsh isn't it? I would say he needs time and he uh, you know uh Managers are given no chance nowadays to, to bring in their own players and, and really settle into a club. But it would, literally wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying he shouldn't get more time. I'm saying it wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't given more time. Um, no, very good point. But, Although, well, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's the problem with, with that really, isn't it? That you can't, you can't tell the difference between time and what time would do for him. I guess uh, I would... Pr- hmm. Who would I go for as the next manager to get sacked? Is there anyone... Is there anyone who wouldn't go for Moyes? <laughs> Surely oh. it's, it's Moisey. Could it be? I mean, could you go West Ham way? I think. I think either. I think you, you look at West Ham. Obviously, Bilic is. You know, they're underperforming again this season. But I think Alan Pardew has to be a prime example. You know, four back-to-back defeats in a row. They haven't won in oh, five. Geez, good show. And you know, it kind of just the last time when it, the, the Pardew talk came back up again. 
sort of they pulled off that victory against Sunderland, the three-two uh, win with Benteke scoring in what the ninety-fourth minute. But you know, consistency-wise, they have been so so poor over the last season and a half. And I think it could be time for Crystal Palace to move on, especially given the money they've spent on Benteke, and he doesn't really seem like he's massively firing so far for Pardew. Mm, okay, Dave's going for Pardew. Then Chris, you got any thoughts on this one? Mourinho. Chris, Chris doesn't oh, miss a beat. Oh my god, Dave! Wow, I mean, uh, Chris. Wow. I mean, you don't, do you really think Mourinho? Depends on the next few weeks. Score really. <laughs> oh wow, they're, they're, they are. They're fluctuating between good and bad. So it depends on the next few weeks. Score. But I mean, do, and do this you... is the this is the thing. <clears throat> if you look at the, you know, the third season syndrome we've discussed time and time again. He's already into that. Not not so much that he's happening. into that. But the pattern of behaviour in that third season is that when things go wrong, he gets quite petulant and immature and everything you don't want from a senior figure in a management position. And he's doing yeah. that now already. And so in excuse me, in so many ways, it's up it's up to him and arguably him alone to stop that spiral and start acting with the best interests of the squad. And I don't know if he's willing to do that. We did see well, that last season, do it. The, the, the last season at Chelsea started calling out Matic, you know, started calling out players publicly, and he's doing that now, Dave. Smalling uh, and Shaw, I think that's a slightly worrying sign. I'm not saying he's going to get sacked. But. Chris Smalling's lost his way. Mike's disappeared, and Chris has returned, and he's been absolutely woeful over the last few, last uh, what six months. He's been very, very yeah, poor. but specifically Mourinho was calling him out on the. Well, why on the not? Situation. You know, again, we're going down this whole argument of the Jurgen Klopp approach versus the Jose Mourinho military approach. He's, you know, he's breaking these players down to build them back up. You know, Luke Shaw and Smalling do merit um, a bit of disrespect and a bit of, you know, a bit of bullying and mentality to them because it seems like they've. They're do you not say they've merited a bit of bullying? They're not not bullying, but like a a bit of uh, you know, you're playing rubbish, sort it out type thing. Um, and I think United have, have improved, barring the um, the Chelsea result. Obviously, that was a. Uh, a bad one. But in the last sort of five games, they've played a bit better. You know, the Stoke game, they massively should have won that game. You know, it was the, the, the keeper pretty much saved Stoke in there. Liverpool, they played very well against Liverpool. And Liverpool are one of the best attacking teams in the in the Premier League this season. And they obviously got a, on top of the league at the moment. They got a draw there. And then, you know, the Burnley result, again, a tiny little bit of luck would have won that game. And then they played very well against Swansea. So I think the improvements are coming. Um, but they just need to, that consistency and the goals need to start flowing. I think it will now. Is Latan? You know, I think it's a big confidence boost in the last game. The two goals he scored against Swansea City. So I think it will start to click with Mourinho. I've, I've got no worry of him losing <laughs> his job this season. It's very funny, actually. Like, um, I mean, it's not funny. I think the, one of the reasons they won't get rid of Mourinho is for a similar reason they won't get rid of Angal because they don't know if they have another option. Um, and I, I don't know if they, like, how many top end managers would be ridiculously attracted to a club. Um, that, that seems in disarray in the middle of the season, those sort of things. Um, doesn't mean that Manchester United is not a good prospect. I wonder. It, it's just so funny how uh, many how many parallels there are between fans uh, of rival clubs. So Liverpool fans were speaking very similarly about Brendan Rodgers until they heard the name Jurgen Klopp. And right. right. I just see parallels between the the times when Liverpool fans were defending 
Brendan earlier on in the season, you know, give him time. He needs needs to be able to bed these people in. You know, he took Liverpool close to the title not long before that. Things were a little bit better, all these draws. And then a, another option came along and everyone suddenly went, well, I mean, he should go. I mean, we, you know, we, if you get the chance to upgrade... I just wonder how yeah, many but we're talking. Fans. We're talking one of the best managers ever in Jose Mourinho. Let's not forget that. We're yeah, talking, he's had yeah, a little but, bit yeah, of a Dave, Dave, poor, yeah. poor last season, but you yeah, know, a little bit. One of the European Dave, Cups. Dave. Yeah, but Dave, a little no, bit of a poor you, last I season. I don't think we can write him off that badly. I think you. That's a lot. I think of that, Dave, I'm with I mean, you I mean, in terms okay. of. I don't I'm think not, he's going to get sacked this season because I think, as you say, Dave, they're sort of running through the options. I think he'll at least be given to the end of the season, and maybe they'll assess it then. If things don't quite work out, then uh, you know maybe the the situation will change. Exactly. I mean, I, but, um, I think sacked. I think there's, there's also a difference in evaluating um, where uh, whether a manager should go um, and whether a manager will go. And I think most people mm. can make a really good argument for why Mourinho should go based on getting rid of other managers and uh, you know whether his form has been good and those sort of things. And also, yeah. it's it's also funny that. You know, one minute you can say, I think Smalling and uh, whoever else in the squad has merited um, criticism or bullying, um, and then not put Mourinho in that um, in that bracket. Dave, can I ask you, for example, hypothetically, if Mourinho was to leave at the end of the season, whether he was he jumped <laughs> yeah. or he was pushed, who would you like to see come in as kind of the ideal man to to sort of? Uh, come into Manchester United and take over a few years and sort of steady this shit. Say Dave well, I think it's got to be Ryan Giggs, right? You know, he's really shown recently yeah. how he's yes. cutting his teeth in top-level yes. management. You're he's right. really You're outperforming, right. um, you know, everyone. He, he just doesn't doesn't want a job at the moment, does he? No, I think it'll, you know, someone like Thomas Tuchel, someone like uh, Carlo Ancelotti maybe later on. But I don't know. I think this Mourinho project, is for me, is going well and it's going the right direction. United are a few wins away of going on a really good run of form and having that confidence, I think that's something that they need to gain again for some of these players is to pick themselves up and push themselves to the next level. But I think this, you know, there's still signings are needed to get United to where they want to be. Uh, but I, no, I think this Mourinho, I think the Mourinho project so far is going, going very well and will continue to improve. Very well. Okay, it's going okay so far. <laughs> um, but let's, let's see how it, how it progresses over the season. We're going to win. We're going to win the EFL Cup, and everyone is going to be very happy. All right, Dave's a, a Let me have that, right? I mean, Dave is, um, no, is, is telling me the glass question. is full right now, and I'm looking at literally someone who's <laughs> someone who's just finished a glass of water. What's in the glass? That's what I want to know. Next question here from. Carlos Zaldivar always sending in the good questions. He said, it's a two-part question. First off, why did Adam leave TFR? No, this is a great Ooh. question. Adam, can I Dave, you want to tackle on? To you? <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll tackle on. <laughs> no, no pay dispute. Um, creative bullying uh, in the workplace. <laughs> <laughs> None of those things. There was no, there was no you got US yeah. figure there to yeah. push me out. Did, um, did you because you told True Geordie to leave? Wasn't that what was going around? Yes, that's exactly what it was. Um, was no, it, no. Adam, can we pose you this question? Adam, why did you leave the Football Republic? So, you know when you break up with your girlfriend, you say, it's not you, it's me. It was that sort of situation. Um, no one was sacked, no one was pushed out. Very amicable sort of thing. I was there since last... No one's last, that you um, weren't, mate. Why would you even bring that up? <laughs> no. It's not me, it's you. <laughs> it's definitely you. No, I just thought, I've been there since, um, you know, if you guys know, I've been working on that sort of producing, helping them make content since last May. So I haven't been there for a year and a half. I thought it's time to move on to maybe some new projects, see if there's anything else exciting out there to work on and, and exciting people to work with. Freelance and hopefully now... Fun. 
yeah, freelancing and hopefully um, put a bit more time into the front three as well. I think, you know, if you follow us on Twitter, you saw we had a little sort of summit going on last week where Chris came down to London. We had a good sort of meeting about our plans for 2017. So I think, you know, it's the time Lawrence to... Lawrence far too much beer. Far too much beer, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, and definitely not Dave. Um, but yes, it's... <laughs> It's the time to, to maybe uh, try some new projects and, and hopefully one of those will be the front three. You're so it's all you very t- exciting. You took it as far as you thought you, uh, your abilities would allow you? Because ultimately uh, you're a limited no, producer. No. Oh, right, okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm not saying that, I'm just saying... I don't want to put words was, in your mouth. Just stop I mean, being exciting, that's what you're saying. Yeah. No, I was saying to do that. I like how you're all just... Well, you said you wanted new exciting projects, so that must mean it stopped being exciting at TFR. Oh, oh no. Was just the sex bad? new. Oh. Something new. <laughs> Uh, this metaphor has gone way too far. Um, the second part of Carlos's question, though, is: Did you at Bruce least find? Adam. Did you at least find Colin before leaving? Oh, that um, was a good question. The answer is yeah. no. Um, he did. I never found the delivery thief, um, so he got away with it, guys. For new so listeners, um, Adam had a chicken sandwich stolen. Chicken. Uh, a chicken and halloumi sandwich. Chicken and stolen. Quite delivered to TFR Towers. Really looking forward to it. Some guy called Colin stole it. Never found the culprit, so it's um, you know the, the investigation is ongoing. Um, Carlos also asked another interesting question. Uh, Carlos uh, Zaldivar said, "How is a player's confidence affected differently in a loan move versus a buy back sale?" Depends uh, on the game you're playing, really, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. So essentially, there's, there's two important things to differentiate between. A buyback and a loan. A loan you will return to your parent club at the end of the season or at the end of the loan period. Buyback, there is not that guarantee. And essentially, the way I interpret the two from a kind of uh, talent acquisition side of things and a a technical director side of things is in a loan move, it's the club essentially saying, we still believe you're on course for your development path and we trust that this move will help you facilitate that next step. In a buyback, essentially, and perhaps rather subtly, the club is saying, we no longer feel you were on that path to the projected potential, but we still feel that you could one day return to it. So we're going to limit our potential loss and put a buyback in so that if you do get back on path and back on track, we can then return and rebuy you. So it's it's perhaps a little bit more confidence having to be sold with the buyback. Or it could be a little bit inspiring. I guess it depends very much on the character. You look at, uh, is it Munir, the the Barcelona chap? He he went to Mm. Valencia on a a buyback. And it's, I mean, it's not been a great move for him, largely because of Valencia's instability. But again, at least he knows that if he performs individually, I guess, there's a chance that Barcelona might come in and and seek to buy him. I don't know what the buyback fee is. I don't Mm. know if they're ever made public, actually. Um, Sometimes it's not. The Munir one was was a loan, but... I think building on that point, it's quite interesting. It's probably like the best way to uh, to position that with the players within your squad or within your club, if you were the manager, would be obviously to judge their personality. You know, sending someone um, as a buyback to send them away, like Chris is saying, saying they're not good enough. Maybe that will rile some of them up and motivate them to perform at a higher level and put you know more hours in training and then go to that club, learn and then come back. You know, like Denis Suarez, who went back to Barcelona after a, a good spell at Villarreal, or you know, if you, mm. or more. If you need, you know, a fella to, you know, you need to put your arm around another player, like be a father figure. Maybe a loan is a bit better because then, you know, they are still part of the club. So maybe it's it's to do with the personalities of the players as well as what the club wants to do. I think uh, Dave is right. By the way, I just checked. Munir is actually on loan. He's not on a buyback. 
<coughs> oh, excuse me. The best example I can remember is Negredo when he was at Real Madrid. He, <coughs> oh, excuse me, this is coming back strong. He was on a buyback. Um, I'm trying to think if there was any others there. there was, Morata a lot was a buyback, wasn't he, Alvaro Morata? Uh, uh, yes, yeah, that worked uh, out pretty A lot of Madrid players seem to fall. Uh, Denis Shirishev, the lad that he played for Villarreal, had a really good season at Villarreal and went back to Rafa's uh, Real Madrid and just didn't really have a, have a sniff, unfortunately, because he was quite a decent player that season at Villarreal. Very direct mm. left winger and a natural left winger, um, you know, going down the bar and whipping it in. So, yeah, it, was, it does work for some and it doesn't work for others. Yeah, I suppose it's also a combination of what coach you go to as well, right? I mean, there's, uh, for instance, people are discussing Coutinho at the moment. And, uh, you know, whether he'd be happy at somewhere like Real Madrid or Barcelona. And the reply from his immediate camp is part of the reason he'd looked to stay at Liverpool would be because of um, because of Jurgen Klopp. And you sort of think, well, a similar thing could it apply to a loan or a buyback would be, you know, does the player see this as a short term thing? So, for instance, going to Juve might be great for Morata because he's with a coach who can give him great coaching intelligence. Whereas maybe if you go to a club, where you know you're used more as a tool sort of for your ends maybe it's not such a positive thing you've got to remember as well there are financial implications so if let's say i'm selling dave to lawrence's club and i insist oh, that no. there's a buyback um you go on whether you like it or not and i insist to lawrence's club that there's a buyback he could very easily then turn around and say okay but i'm not going to pay the fee that you want for his transfer i need a lower fee because the profit margin for us is is not viable in terms of that buyback if you choose to sign him. Yeah. Which I think is why Premier League clubs don't really do it. Because well, that was one thing I said of Mourinho that not putting them in for Lukaku and De Bruyne was a real poor move. Mm. Um, a few interesting international questions here. Uh, first up from It's Mamido. Jeff on Twitter says, how do you make the international break interesting? How about moving it to the summer um multi ball is a good suggestion um it's a great question there because obviously everyone seems to hate the international break um everyone seems to it's just because domestic football seems to be so much more interesting though no the the the, there's a lack of of passion about international football yeah but don't you think that's because i i think that's more of a branding thing than a sort of a an actual problem with the game there are so many good things that happen in international football that just don't sort of like don't get covered like that you know i guess the problem is partly that it's not all in one place it's very it, you know there's very poor coverage of it so it's very difficult to find it online apart from you know the same click of i think is it a wobi uh, flicking the ball over someone's head yeah i mean i think apart, you usually it, tend to was, focus on your own team though don't you in international football so obviously what, it must be in i England, don't quite get why the, because, as you say, where would I go and watch, say, Brazil or Argentina, which was on um, the other night? There's no access to that for me, unless, I could, like you say, the Awobi Vine is on Twitter and there's certain goals that pop up, all that sort of stuff. So then but my point would be, educate of- people. don't even educate them, just show them, look, this is what we've got, this is how good this is. And, you know, if, you, if you're willing to spend so much money on the Premier League, because it's such a massive product, I guess my point would be, if your if your marketing team is so good, then you can market me more than one league, not just you know that this Premier League, which everyone's already obsessed with anyway. Do you think part of it is the fact that it's all sort of like you say, it's all in different countries and it's all so very far apart? And it's also 
spaced out that the consequences of the, the games feel uh, they don't feel as concrete so when you watch the Premier League everyone knows what's at stake it's every week you're playing towards winning the league same with the Champions League all this sort of stuff but with international football it feels kind of tangential I mean what do you, you make could, of you could Jeff's suggestion that you do it what would you make of Jeff's suggestion you, you sort of bunch it all up in the summer why not do, do all the World Cup qualifiers well, in a couple of weeks break. you think yeah that's the, the logistical um, yeah. sort of counterpoint to it but in terms of just getting the interest back into international football. I think, obviously I think fading. the responsibility rests on the, the people covering it, really. I mean, you know, the problem is the people, it, it seems less of a less of a problem with the people uh, sort of receiving the coverage and more the problem with the people who cover it. But sort of making excuses for not covering it in the first place, they're sort of being like, oh, it's boring, which we both know is not true. Like, you know, the, there are so many journalists out there who cover international football who do say you know there are elements of it that maybe need a a reboot because of you know the way that fifa's gone or the way that uefa's gone but then also the coverage you know i mean that part of the reason that journalists don't want to cover it is because they can't get the money for it because there's no one else wants to pay for the articles etc etc or either that or there's a very limited number of articles that they've got there so people base it on the clicks and you know that's down to making yourself making coverage in something which is marketized as opposed to something that you believe is sort of for the greater good so maybe public service broadcasters need to look at it um i mean if there's a human interest angle it <clears throat> you can normally find a decent so like kosovo was a great example exactly but i mean dave what do you think like oh, sorry, sharp man. turnarounds even like if if there's a team that's in good form it it depends really it's i, I agree with you though it's not it's not across the board as appealing as say like the premier league realistically you could sell a story on any premier league club within reason but yeah, uh, in national football is a little bit more difficult. It, I mean, it depends. It's such a. I, th- I think in national football, honestly, it's it's just something that not enough people find enjoyment with because I don't think they have enough connection with it. The idea of England and Scotland or who whomever, for the most part, I think is quite boring to fans. Whereas, <clears throat> say Liverpool or Arsenal or whoever your club is, that realistically has a connection that you've built yourself. And because it's almost omnipresent for you, you play at least, say, once a week, twice if you're in Europe in a big club, then that means it's so much easier to build that connection to to have the kind of continuity of it in your life, whereas England is, what, once every two, three months on average? Yeah, but argu- arguably also, though, Chris, th- that, that falls down because they're all Premier League players. And, you know, the, so you should have a connection with those players. But they're not all your players. But they're not. That's the thing is those those club players are kind of yours every single week. The, the international players change every single time. So equally as well, you could have to cheer on a potential rivals player. So Arsenal fans have to cheer on Deli Ali when maybe a week prior they were calling him the worst thing under the sun. I mean, I see your point, but at the same time, I think maybe you would have the appreciation of another team's player. And maybe, maybe you know. I mean, why why can't a Liverpool fan appreciate someone like Deli Ali? Why do you have to get so? I guess I understand why you have to get so. A Liverpool fan necessarily, but an Arsenal fan. Well, I, mean, I think yeah, there needs to be a bit of a shake-up. Really that's that's the problem. Is rivalries really do run deep for a lot of people? Like it's it's hard to genuinely cheer uh, a rival player, even if he's playing under the banner of, of your country. It's hard enough to be on a podcast with Lawrence McKenna supporting Liverpool. In all serious, I think, brand. I think that, um, like in terms of the, the qualifying, it's a 
potentially they could rejig that. Like, what I'd like to see is like a global league. Like all the every single country in the world is thrown into this global league, and you sort of like play each other for places, similar to what the FIFA rankings should be, but aren't. And then off those FIFA rankings, you'll get put into the Euros, you'll get put into the uh, World Cup, and so forth. Obviously, it's a massive shakeup, but it'd be a little bit more competitive if you're actually playing for places instead of, I don't know, playing against a, a team that you're expected to massively beat. You know, you look, the likes of Liechtenstein, the likes of Estonia, that probably might do a bit better for their development in playing each other getting more competitive against each other and then pushing on. Um, you know, seeing the likes of Germany versus England, seeing the likes of Spain versus Holland, that's kind of what people want to see. And unfortunately, because international football isn't a global brand and it isn't to make money, we're going away from that sort of Premier League model of people want to see the, the best teams playing the best players in the best stadiums. The, pro- the problem is that's a bit of a fallacy. That maybe though. takes away from the what, what makes the World Cup special. Yeah, exactly. That's a bit of, I think that's a bit of a fallacy set up by people who want to make more money out of it. Because they, what they say is, well, you only want to see the best and you only want to... And, that, and that's not necessarily true. I mean, I, I see a point, Dave. People do want to see great football, but, but it sort of takes a... Well, on the other side, it's not, it's not just great football. It's also that you're seeing Estonia play in Liechtenstein, which will be a more competitive game, which will um, be for a better spectacle, which, you know, instead of, them, instead of Estonia or Liechtenstein going away to um, Germany and playing like six defenders two you know three midfielders um, and then whatever whatever we've got left up top one up top um, I think it'll be more competitive these teams will have to come out and they might have to play different systems and they might have to outthink each other than going against every single time that they go out against the likes of Spain and being like oh lads we're going to get done here it, I mean, it think it'll be more a competitive environment and the competitiveness will improve everything as well as being more entertaining for a fan mm. hence the people wanting to watch more of it well Let's stick on England for this next question from James Cabello. He said, should Southgate get the England job? If not, who should get it? It does look like Gareth Southgate will be appointed the next permanent England manager. Um, Chris, what do you make of this one? I mean, there's not many options in the end, so perhaps Southgate should get the job. That's a depressing way to to think, though, isn't it? There's no many options. It's kind of the reality of it, though, isn't it? It is, and I say that because I don't think Eddie Howe wants to pull himself away from Bournemouth, which is understandable because he's spent so long in that team that he's earned this position in the Premier League and I imagine he wants to eke out every bit of potential they've got. It's a tough one with Southgate because he was decent at Middlesbrough from what I can remember, but the problem with him at the under-21s was arguably a problem that is symptomatic of England, which is in the qualifiers he was fairly okay. And then he got to a tournament with the under-21s and they absolutely pooped the bed. Um, yep. They just couldn't seem to, to handle it at all. And it was very bizarre because it, it was a really decent team, actually a decent squad. I remember uh, Lawrence and I went down to, to do the unveiling and everything and just hearing him talk. He is a good talker. I think he can understand the game and articulate his thoughts very well. It's how that translates to the field. Though. I think that's one of the things that probably Gary Neville learned when he went to... Uh, Valencia was that it's so easy to deconstruct a situation after the event. It's being able to plan ahead of that and predict what is likely to happen. That's the skill of a manager, realistically. I also think with a lot of international managers, they they tend to need backing because you, there's such a short space of time spent with them. You know that there's there needs to be something created around the camp which gives players an instant motivation. And I understand that's only one way of doing it. There are other managers who manage to do it differently. But if you look at all the big figures, they've got their teams, they're backed by people, and they're figureheads of sorts. And Gareth Southgate hasn't become a figurehead, arguably, because of a number of reasons for England. But you know, arguably the FA haven't created a figurehead or put 
their weight or backing behind someone enough or wholeheartedly enough to get the results that they want. Sometimes the way in which a manager arrives can help or hinder things a little bit as well. He's, you've got to remember he's come in as interim and then been given the position theoretically amid talk of there's no better options. Not in the sense of there's no better options. He's such a great coach, quite literally. Oh, what a terrible situation <laughs> for England. Where the comma goes, Gareth. With, with, a, with a dearth of, of candidates, he's the best we've got. Um, and, and I worry if that could potentially harm him as well. It's, it is. It's a tough situation, it, and yet it feels like we are trapped in a, a sort of wheelhouse of just negativity in the sense of we talk about the problems, we identify the problems, and do they really change? I mean, that's the thing. Was it is it Martin Glenn, the one of the FIFA uh, the FA selectors who said he wasn't a football expert, and yet was also tagged with finding. Allardyce's replacement and Hodgson's replacement and said that in public said I'm not a football expert I mean sometimes it can help to bring experts in from other fields but I, I yeah at the same time we're tired of experts you know yeah good point Adam yeah and that in Thanks, many ways Michael represents Cove. your entire political leader <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean Trump just shows it Alexis Galitzin Galitzin I should say says how comes Kosovo has been recognised by UEFA when it hasn't been by all UN members. Lawrence? Uh, this one is quite a simple answer. Um, because uh, you, you'd argue that democratically in most uh, international organisations, if, if you want to measure sort of legitimacy by international organisations, which is probably not the best gauge because most people have political interests, alliances, uh, ways that they want to conduct themselves, um, you know, or, uh, a lot of people have a political interest, if you like, um, uh, then you would say that uh, at least over 50% uh, or more in most international organisations, uh, Kosovo is recognised as a country. It's totally uh, down to UEFA, essentially. Uh, they're they're recognised by a quite quite a majority by UEFA, Um the more sticking countries will be Serbia, where um, basically the uh, to put no finer point on it, uh, Serbia uh, does not think that the land that Kosovo is in belongs to Kosovo, um, and they actually conducted what most people termed as a genocide a few years ago of Kosovan people. And uh, you know, I mean, in many ways, people would say that UEFA um, is using. Uh, its political sway or political, whatever you want to call it, uh, clout to help a country like Kosovo gain international recognition, not only for political reasons, but also just for uh, human reasons as well. So the reason they do is because majority there's a majority, democratically speaking. Uh, Philip at Philip D636 uh, says, any thoughts on the A-League? My team, Perth, got destroyed today, so has relevance. Um, anyone have any knowledge of the A-League? I have uh, exactly zero. Great. I was watching, let me pull up his name. Re- I was recently watching a player, actually. Um, second... I, I was assuming that people would have no knowledge, so I was going to say, Philip, if you know any good uh, journalists or you know uh, people you follow that cover the A League and uh, voices that you like and admire, 
throw them our way, let them get in touch with us, and we can get <laughs> them to get them on. To talk Fuck about the that. Why not? What's else? Wrong? Free advertising. What's yeah. Jamie McLaren. That's, that's who I was watching. Who? Jamie McLaren. I'm sure... What was the name of the, the questioner? Uh, Philip D636. I think Philip will know exactly who I'm talking about. Jamie McLaren, I believe he's Scott, half Scottish, half Australian. Uh, he's a forward. He's only about 21. Very quick, very direct. Can play up top or wide right. And I liked a lot of what I saw of him. And I believe he's out of contract soon, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him doing an Aaron Moy and have a, a move maybe to Europe, maybe even to North America. Mm. You never know. Uh, Philip, yeah, if you know any A-League experts to, uh, to throw away, we'll get in touch with them and try and get them on to chat some A-League. Um, here's a really good question from JJ92X on Twitter. Should we start questioning Arsene Wenger's development of wingers or lack of it? Uh, the Ox and Walcott struggle for consistency while Nabry flies the nest and looks reborn. This is an interesting question, isn't it, Dave? I mean, you could take it even larger than wingers and just look at Arsene Wenger's development of young players in general. I mean, what do you make of his record? Um, well, obviously, he's got a quite an interesting record because there's a lot of players there that he's really turned into superstars. You know, the likes of Cesc Fabregas um, is definitely a prime example of a player that Arsene took under his wing and really, um, you know, turned him into this all creating, all goal scoring, attacker midfielder that moved back to Barcelona. But I think the the problem with Walcott and Oxay Chamberlain is they have been pushed from position to position. Oxay Chamberlain, what central midfield, attacker midfield, left midfield, right midfield, and then you go to uh, Walcott again, left midfield, right midfield, striker. So the problem I think with Arsene Wenger is that he wants these players to be too flexible, and in a way sometimes you need to think, okay, this is what you want. To, this is what I want you to be. For example, I remember Oxay Chamberlain playing really, really well. Maybe a season and a half ago, maybe two seasons ago, he started off for Arsenal, played on the right-hand side. And literally, the first like, four or five games of the season, he looked like a world-beater. Then an injury came and he lost his place and he couldn't back, back, get back into the side. I feel like Arsenal does have a little bit of an issue of that. And maybe he needs to, um, especially these wide players, Like you know, it's a, it's a great question and it's a great point. Sometimes you need to designate these players' positions and, and get them to study that role. You know, Another player that jumps out is Jack Wilshere. You know, a player that played wide for Arsene Wenger, played on the left-hand side, played on the right-hand side, can play central midfield. You know, again, another player that plays too many roles and needs to sit down and be like, okay, what actually is my position? Where do I need to develop myself? So it's a good question and it's a good point. But I think this, you know, where Wenger's taking this squad, um, it could be his final season at Arsenal. Just one Um, note on Gnabry. Uh, He went on loan to West Brom a few years ago and apparently wasn't that professional with it. was quite overweight. Um, and didn't make the most of the opportunity. So I think that plays a small part into it. I also think that, again, the reason they sold him was not a desire to sell him as much as make money on him because he was in the last year of his contract. That too. Like you either make five million on him or he has a good season and then you make absolutely nothing on him. It was a very difficult position, I think, for Arsenal to be in. Uh, Lawrence, do you think there's any uh, legitimacy to the question about whether Arsene Wenger's not uh, almost strict enough and not cut for enough with youth players that maybe he gives them too many chances, maybe he puts too much faith in them? I mean, uh, a lot of those sort of questions were asked when he was sort of trying to bring through young players when uh, the Emirates was being built and they were trying to deal with the sort of budget issues there where they didn't have the money to compete with the top teams. But even now, you know, you see Arsenal fans who are exasperated with Theo Walcott, who are exasperated with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, rightly or wrongly, I mean, there's a debate there. But they seem to think maybe these players should have been cut loose uh, a few seasons ago. 
Um, I mean, I sp- like you say, I suppose you can make an argument either way. Uh, the strengths of Walcott, there are. I mean, he does have strengths. Um, but then it's, it's more about consistency, isn't it? And then you'd argue that's less about the position of the player and more about the overall management of those players. And just a few years ago, we were talking about how good Arsene Wenger was at bringing those players through, nurturing those guys, finding the right position. You know, he, he changed the position of Thierry Henry. Uh, I mean, not by a lot. And arguably, Thierry Henry was also already great out on the way. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And uh, maybe another manager would have done the same. And he sort of showed another manager, he showed other uh, players within the team uh, stronger positions, ways to play those positions. He developed uh, some fantastic players at Arsenal, out at left wing back, arguably, uh, with someone like uh, Ashley Cole and got the best out of him. And then he moved on. I think it's more about um, just, it's almost a luck of the draw, if you like. I I still I still think that, you know, if Wenger got his hands on a couple of other players out there, then he'd have a great fun with them. But like I you say, maybe he's been if... Yeah, I wonder if it is the you know the, the names you mentioned there. Are obviously, towards the the start of his his tenure at Arsenal, maybe as in recent years, people sort of point the finger and say he's lost his way in the transfer market. He sort of lost how to find those sort of bargains like Thierry Henry that he found so many years ago. Maybe he's sort of lost his touch with youth development. Um, I don't think it's in, the, in. I don't think he's lost his touch as much as he's got so mm. many more rivals doing it now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, people what essentially yeah, do the, the same yeah, as him. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> he was shocked in a market that his competition around him didn't know because if if memory serves I could be totally misremembering this at the time a lot of managers in the Premier League were British so realistically even if you played in France you weren't going to know the market as well as he is and whereas now the the influx of data systems and all these things that we've talked about before means that you don't have to be an expert in France necessarily to find great players you've got to be an expert in how to interpret the data realistically I mean there are a lot of people that there are certainly those that fly potentially under the radar, and uh, you know, guys like Nicola Kante maybe are a good example of that. Someone who comes through less than traditional pathways, mm. but for the most part, it's it's about who uses the resources at the disposal, and he doesn't do that. And I think honestly, the idea that he keeps a hold of players for too long is is completely right. I mean, think of think of all the times that Sir Alex Ferguson did that. He didn't because he would happily cut guys that he didn't think were performing, and and for the most part, I can't think of many if any, that left Manchester United and went on to greater things in that sense. Guys that he cut, that's the important caveat to add to that, or the uh, preface to, to start with, is that it's the guys that he cut, not like Ronaldo who went to Real Madrid. I'm talking like when he got rid of Van Nistelrooy and people like that. Mm. It's interesting, I think you, 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 you touched on there. Richardson, yes. door contender, right? <laughs> you uh, you sort of put your finger on it there, Chris. Though in terms of you know he was the innovator when he came in and brought all these methods and changed for here But like you say, sort of maybe been superseded by uh, other managers and, and other other people in the game. Um, Philip, again with another question. This one's potentially for you, Dave. How is the new football manager, in your opinion, is it better than 2016? 
Oh, good question. Um, I unfortunately I've got a quite a biased um, opinion of this football manager because I didn't play last year, so I couldn't give a direct comparison. But from what I've played so far, I really enjoy the game. I feel like it's it's moved on from the last time I really played that in 2015. I think it is quite similar to last seasons, um, and maybe if you played last season, you could be a bit a, a bit annoyed that they haven't really moved any of the you know any of the the tactics on on too far. But I am really enjoying it. I think it's a, it's a good game and. Um, you know, again, it's it's a lot of fun, but very frustrating at the start. At the start of it, I was really struggling, uh, just because I hadn't played the game for a while. And you know, you forget what you know how to open up opposition's opponents up when they're sitting deep and and so forth, and how to deal when you're not retaining the ball. So yeah, but it's starting to get fun again. I hate when you forget. What that. do you make, <laughs> Chris? What do you make of it? You've got your hands on it as well, have you? Yeah, I haven't. I played 2016 quite recently as well. Um, I think, I think at this stage, the football manager series, it's about little changes it's not really about huge sweeping developments personally that's that's my opinion i know they bring out the video every year that that highlights the 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 big changes and the new developments but i think for the most part it's it largely stays the same bar little addendums to kind of take care of minutia and situations and things i would say the morale is really hard to manage. That's that's potentially the the more difficult bit I find is is keeping everyone on side, um, because it seems that one misspoken word and, and everybody turns against you. My very limited experience of football manager came last year when I took Manchester United for a few games, got rid of Rain, rid of Wayne Rooney, demoralised him up until the point where he was transferred, and then transferred him, and it was some of the best fun I've ever had. <laughs> Sounds like Jose Mourinho's diary. <laughs> Genuinely, it was fantastic to just keep going back and just seeing that arrow go from almost, you know, north Destroying to, to south. Career. Yeah, and that green turned to a deep, deep red. <laughs> uh, one player that I'd say, um, if you're looking for a right winger on foot manager, get Gelson Martinez from Sporting Lisbon. Top talent. Top, top talent. I refuse to install Football Manager because I know it's going to take up too much of my life. So I'm trying as best as I can to, uh, yeah, I would play enough FIFA as it is. Um, Wouldn't it be great if I was though? don't have much of a job at the moment, Adam, so you might as well spend your time doing something good. Completely unemployed. Um, I mean, arguably you're going to need to do the research for your next roles. The the, the disaster of um, currently having a little break before I I go on to my new projects is that uh, my laptop's broken and my Xbox is broken. So it's uh, it's a tragic time. Oh, shit. Tragic time. Uh, Ray Burke on Twitter says, would Everton be a good move for Memphis in January? A lot of talk about alone. There's only one man to come to on this one. That is Squawker. Ooh. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. He's not in there. No, let's leave it. Let's leave the banter in. Um, Sorry, Mark. That was my autopilot. It could be quite a good move, actually, in terms of um, Memphis needs some games. I think that's a big thing. You know, you, you see for uh, his performance for Holland um, this weekend was was very good. Um, got himself two goals, scored a really good free kick. But I think he just needs that game time at Man United. It seems to get like ten minutes when they're goal down, or ten minutes when it's when it, uh, you know it's, it's drawn. They need to score to win the game. It's a bit too much pressure, and it kind of Memphis doesn't really work with that pressure. You know, he go, kind of falls into his shell, and um, you know tries too much, tries to beat everyone on the pitch, doesn't get, keep the game moving, doesn't play the simple square pass when he needs to and make a move forward and get into a better position. He, it's just a bit too slow when he's got the ball at his feet. And I can kind of see why Mourinho would be frustrated. But then again, he just needs a bit of... Uh, he does need that 
maybe the you know the four or five games in a row to to build that confidence up and one thing that you'd say at Ronald uh, say about Ronald Koeman he's quite good with your uh, your sort of inside forwards your your wide players that are running in you know the work he did with uh, Southampton um, Sadio Mane and um, Tadic at, at times and uh, Shane Long who used to play in a wide position when uh, Pelo was through the middle was quite good and, and they seemed to enjoy his instructions of playing out wide and, and being quite direct so it could be a good move for um, for Memphis and and for Everton but it has to be a good move for Manchester United so they've got to include something like a buyback or a, you know all the loan deal going through um, but the Everton Twitter account did tweet about Memphis today so maybe it's already happened what did they tweet? Ooh, what did no they smoke tweet? without fire it was a, an international update. They said that yeah, uh, Alassie's Democratic of Democratic Republic of Congo team were down one 0 to Guinea, but Memphis had scored to give uh, the Dutch a one one at the time uh, result against Luxembourg. So why, that is interesting. Or Lich- would- actually, no. One of them, one of the small countries beginning with an L. Why would it? Why would that be relevant to Everton? I mean, surely that shows. To Kellenberg. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, surely that's what people were saying. They're probably Memphis. Yeah, they're walking in Memphis, mate. Yeah, they are signed already. Number seven, apparently. Um, Insulting to door at Black Shadow One Seven (laughs) Nine says. Lost his shirt number. (laughs) Luke Door says, "Who would be the best UFC fighter out of all of you?" And why um, she was asking this because of UFC 205, which was on last night, uh, this morning, technically, in the UK. Did you watch it, Adam? Um, uh, I didn't. I, I could not uh, face staying up until 5 a.m. I watched highlights this morning. Conor McGregor won. Uh, he's, he's got two belts now. Is that right? After beating Alvarez. Yeah. First first UFC fighter in history to hold two belts. And um, he's got the company, yeah. Yeah, and now he wants it. I don't blame him, to be fine. Um, but who would make the best UFC fighter out of all of us? Um, I'm going to say it's not me. You know, Why not? Not a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, but you are um, also, you've got you've got great bone density. Yeah. Uh, you just How would you fat. even know that? Because he's hit me, um, he's hit me at football, and it hurts. <laughs> you make it sound like I'm like punched you or something no no but you have the, you've gone through on the me. pitch but then um, and also you have you'll be you're a big man you have a big reach do you know what i mean yeah i was thinking that they're talking a lot about mcgregor's reach helped him last night maybe my reach would help me um uh dave i reckon, I reckon dave would be quite good you know he's been he's been, you've been hitting the gym lately dave you've been getting shredded take, take on mcgregor ufc ufc 207 Statman yeah. Day versus McGregor. I reckon I'd last maybe uh, 10 seconds. <laughs> I think the speed of his punches are just absolutely unreal. I quite like the image of Dave running around in a circle things. in the middle of the octagon. I want that extra month. Yeah. I, I tell you what, if you were going to get paid £10 million, I'd probably get. i let McGregor punch me a few times. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> It'll be very. Um, I, yeah, I suppose that's the point, isn't it? You know you're going to get money for getting punched in the face. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all worth not it. too hard. You know what I mean? <laughs> to be fair, the opponent normally doesn't like always get that much money. Like that's that's one of. <clears throat> excuse me. I think that's one of the misconceptions about the sport is that McGregor makes boatloads, but his opponent on it doesn't necessarily always make the same amount. Oh, oh, Chris, this is a this is a special fight. This is someone that's untrained in UFC. The big man Varan Joshi said he is praying that we answer his question. Uh, I'm just trying to find out where that question is. I'm on your Twitter feed, Varun. It could either be... Unfortunately, uh, God couldn't hook you up this week, Varun. Sorry about that. He, he said, what is the answer to everything? Um, 42. 
42. Nice. Uh, and the other question he might sorry, be asking also, is... Sorry, not only for Jabby Alonso. Yeah, oh, yes, of yeah. course, of course. Um, the other question he seems to be asking is, uh, when are you going to do the mannequin challenge? It's all the rage right now. Tongue out uh, emoji thing. Um, I'd say never. I don't Why think not? we're ever going to do the mannequin challenge. Surely, um, we, we only just filmed the Harlem Shake on Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? We've got to get round to all these these viral uh, sensations. Um, so probably never. Very we only just filmed Adam set. bouncing up and down on a on a trampoline, oh, trampoline. for yes. Christmas. <laughs> um, Chris, here is one for you, specifically for you, um, from Kenny J. Rabolo. He said, "On a scale of one to ten, how do you rate FC Dallas's season?" A nine. Wow. Um, they they won't win MLS Cup. They went out to Seattle. But they did win the Sports Shield, the US Open Cup. So they did the double, and they lost two of their key players during the course of the season. So to achieve that, I think that's, that's huge for them. It'll push them so much further in terms of their development as a team. And I also think come the start of next year, when they need to try and sign players, having that will be so much bigger for them because right now they are one of the, the big dogs in, in MLS. Hmm. Uh, this one could be could be for you as well, Chris. Uh, Dwight K. Schrute, Stow the Am Heslop on Twitter said, do you think my beloved Newcastle will win the EFL in brackets Capital One Cup? No. There you have it. <laughs> No, absolutely <laughs> I mean, not. Jose Mourinho is going to be lifting awesome. the first trophy of many. They're doing well, but the squad is is still a championship squad in so many ways. And the second it comes up against the Premier League or one of the better Premier League teams in the cup, I think it'll struggle. Benitez does, see them Benitez does, does love that though, doesn't he? Like he loves <laughs> he loves a bit of. A, you remember when you know one of the only te- was he the first manager, the first Premier League managers to win away at Barcelona. Arguably with Craig Bellamy up front the night after wow. he hit John Arnarisa in the head with a golf club. Yeah. Nice what guy though, right? What a moment. Um, Benitez is, mate. HJD Cornish said, what the hell is going on with Schalke? Um, Dave, do you want to answer that? I think Schalke have been in this weird spiral of signing, of getting managers that they feel have great promise, and then like Roberto Di Matteo, um, and then them actually turning out to be pretty bang average, and then losing, um, you know, a number of good key young players. Julian Draxler comes to mind. Obviously, they sold him to Wolfsburg because they kind of had to in a way. You know, a pretty inconsistent player at um, at Schalke. But I think that's kind of the problem with Schalke is that a lot of these young talented players that do look very good. The likes of Goretzka, the likes of Max Meyer, um, they just haven't got to that next level yet. Howard has been there for such a long time, but again, you look at the midfield this season, Bentaleb's in there. He's the one that's controlling things and when Bentaleb's controlling your midfield, you know, you're not going the greatest away. Obviously, goal scoring wise this season, they've not done great. They conceded too many goals, but I think that with Schalke, eventually it's just going to click and they will become one of these super clubs, but at the moment, they just seem to be going the wrong way too short-term, and they're getting dodgy managers. Here is a very good question from Gabrielle Woots. Best big man and short man striker duo ever. I should be talking Lawrence about. He, said, and he says, in my biased opinion, Del Piero and Trezeguet. Hashtag, I am the whole. Uh, any shouts for best big and short man striker duos? Uh, Jan Collar and anybody? Jan Collar and uh, Mar- 
Oh, what the hell was his name? Uh, Milan Barosh. There you go. Yeah. Or maybe uh, Mike Lowe and Emil Heskey. Not a bad combo. Not a bad combo. Um, I always used to, well, it's not the best ever, but Spurs used to have Peter Crouch and Raphael van der Vaart. You know, Peter Crouch, Crouch had, a, it down. had good partnerships with a couple of people, didn't he? The problem he with Crouch was he scored a few too many goals for himself. Surprisingly useful player. He seems to have sort of um, just now uh, resigned himself to making jokes on Twitter. Now he's not getting much game time. Um, seems to be his, his, his current uh, life. Um, guys, yeah. tweet us out of the front three. Who are the best big and short man striker duos of all time? Um, trying to think of others now. Uh, I mean, so I, 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 I generally think you two make a good strike force. Honestly, I reckon you need to make a good strike force. Boltwood dropping deep, using his size, holding the ball up. Lawrence McKenna on the edge of the think, area, playing the ball. Lawrence isn't role. that much shorter than me, though, is he? Yeah, but I know, I'm but still... it's quite it, it, different. Different builds. Lawrence has the speed, the pace. You've got the physicality, the, the you know the the flair on the ball. I think it'd work quite nicely. And Adam, with my finishing, mm. I mean, you know, I, ultimately, I was yeah. offended not to be uh, put in that TFR five-side squad, and that you Oof. got in it was a, an abomination. Considering that you got in it not wearing your bloody glasses, and I don't even play. In <laughs> yeah, glasses. I don't think I'll. <laughs> <Frankly> insulting. <laughs> The, the amount of times that I've been left out of a TFR squad at this point, mate. Hey, nothing I, to do with I that. think Lawrence would make a good nuisance striker in that sense. And believe me, oh, I'm yeah. a real a nuisance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shira um, Bellamy's one, Phillips Quinn. Simple when you're playing playing in front of the, the deep line sweeper. Chris. That Monday, right? Don't. That <laughs> Monday. I, I think you're more of a Libra. But, um, Chris, do not, <laughs> Just, do not say I think Lawrence is a nuisance striker ball, and then compare me to Craig Bellamy. No, I was sorry. I was saying those are other examples of big men, little men that worked. <laughs> Greg Bellamy. Um, here is a very good question from Gushan at Gushan4 on Twitter. So thank you so much for your question. Do you think Diego Simeone will go to Inter Milan at the end of the season? All sorts of rumours flying around. Dave, what do you make of this one? You know, I think something that he's made quite clear is he wants to go and manage his former clubs. So, obviously, in there we do have Atletico Madrid. We have... Um, uh, really the likes of Lazio, we have Inter Milan, um, Velez in Argentina, Sevilla could be one. But this Inter Milan squad, right, is quite likened to the squad that um, he came to Atletico Madrid with. Being a squad that was really weird, but really unbalanced in a certain way. This Atletico squad that uh, Simeone came to, like Mario Suarez, Thiago, Arnold Soran, Gabri, Coque and Diego, had quite a lot of central midfield or central players in the midfield. And if you kind of look at the Inter Milan team, it's it's a little bit similar to that in a way where you have like Gary Medell, you have the likes of Kondogbia, you have Eva Benega, um, uh, you know, you've got Brozovic. Uh, the list sort of goes on and on and on, uh, you know, Joe Mario. And then you've got a striker that's lethal in Icardi. You know, the, the, when um, Simeone went to Atletico, the striker that was lethal was Falcao. So it's quite mm. weird how these squads are quite imbalanced but they're imbalanced in quite a similar way I think the one thing that you'd say um, is defensively you know Simeone came and you, you know you had Godin there uh, Felipe Luiz and Juan Fran you know they're three players of Simeone's great back four you'd say Inter Milan less so you know they've been struggling for a defence for a number of seasons now but Miranda's there who was actually there the first time that Simeone took over at Atletico so potentially it could happen it is an interesting one but yeah. what do you guys think? I love, I'd love to see Inter Milan return to the heights of European football again. Uh, they've got a great kit. They've got. Uh, <laughs> they represent. Uh, they represent the say the, at least closer to working class 
around uh, Milan. And I think it'd be good to see them a, a, a Milan side truly competitive again. Not just sort it, of in an ent- a lowly, entertaining way, but in a sort of you know, proper way. It would be good for Serie A to see uh, kind of an A-list manager join the league. I mean, we've seen so many come to the Premier League. You know, you've got likes of Carlo and Ancelotti in the Bundesliga. To see someone like Simeone ditch La Liga to go to Serie would be kind of a big statement. But I kind of don't want to see him leave Atletico just yet I'd like him to, to stay for maybe one or two more seasons depending on how this season works out of course um, I wonder who course, would take over from him that's what I'd be interested in yeah that's an interesting question as well actually yeah. um, maybe yeah, it would be good. Coach. it would definitely be good uh, for Inter Milan I I'd love to see Bielsa just run run one of those teams into the ground <laughs> 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 um, Diego it was great fucking hell is coming <laughs> oh lads like okay you know we used to do lots of running yeah. twice as much now <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely running into the game oh, get your bags packed we're leaving yeah. here is uh, another hear great mission from no the, the Rob Brand. Meister retire. <laughs> at Robert Creasa Creasy said who is your favourite underrated player to ever play for your club Oof, very good question very tough question as well. Your favourite underrated player uh, to play for your club? Favourite, obviously, so it's subjective. Um, Dave, have you got any shouts for potential Manchester United players? Oh, uh, come on in, give us, give us a couple. Possibly. Anderson, no, I think, bloody hell. Uh, the no, golden boy himself. Aaron Fletcher. Oh, you love Darren Fletcher. Bloody love. He's so good at whenever, whenever, we, whenever United played Arsenal, Possibly. Darren Fletcher used to just get in, get in Arsenal's face and just completely destroy them on his own. It was, it was, it was brilliant, brilliant viewing. But I think Pardew's song as well. He's got a special place in my heart. Great shouts, both great shouts. Uh, Lawrence, anyone from uh, Liverpool? I mean, yeah, it does say your club. Yeah, Liverpool. There are a lot, lot of options. Uh, Luis Garcia is not a bad one for Liverpool. Uh, sort of underrated, but did some key things for the club. It was very sort of key in the revolution. Um, Mark Gonzalez, uh, a short but magnificent <laughs> career. Um, in which time he also—I think we played against Yeovil or Luton. I can't remember one or the other. And it was Mark Gonzalez, the shortest player in the football league, against uh, a player who was six foot seven at the time. It was just one of the funniest combinations of play. Um, and he was literally up against him, and I, they played a player who was six foot seven. I think at, at right back. I just remember being like, that's incredible. Um, uh, Leto was a good player, uh, only ever made it at uh, Olympia, not Olympiakos, at Panathinaikos, sorry. Um, Suso, fantastic, underrated player for Liverpool. Um, the reason I say Leto finally was... kicking on at Inter Mil- uh, AC Milan, though, actually, it was quite interesting this season. He's he been fanta- pivotal in their fantastic. research. Yeah, lovely, kid, great kid, and uh, seems like a nice guy as well. I think his girlfriend's a fashion blogger, uh, although that could be Pacheco can't remember uh pacheco left he was meant to be the next big thing um who else is underrated uh steve finnan Ooh, nice yeah um there you go. chris any uh, any newcastle shouts probably not uh lawrence mckenna for tfrfc good point chris chronically constantly overlooked constantly overlooked because he once played well twice maybe four times played at centre back <laughs> Lawrence what well, do you know normally... eagle rules common sense that's basically what happened yeah <laughs> you know uh, you know what Lawrence where do you normally play I'm normally a left winger can you do centre back for us mate yeah fantastic 
Can you have the opposite position? Um, Chris, Newcastle, please. Newcastle is underrated. Peter Lovenkrantz was was a little bit over underrated. Um, I'm trying to think, not not many really. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think back to when David Batty probably going back a little bit. Yeah, that's a good shout. I'm trying to think back to when I was watching Spurs when I was younger. They were all, all they're always so awful. There were so many. Chris few... Perry. Chris Perry. I actually met Chris oh, Perry. What about Chris? That was like Z- one of the ones. Is it Ziegler? Yeah, Ziegler. 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 The guy that had an absolute cannon of a left foot. Yeah, yeah. He scored a few bangers in his time. Um, I was a big fan of uh, Stefan Everson when he came over. He sort of he got the assist. The one bright patch Spurs had was when they won the uh, the Milky League Cup like, in '99. Milky Way. <laughs> I think it was the I think it was the Worthington's Cup. Maybe at that point it was like some weird. Uh, Ale. He got the assist for another sort of underrated player, Alan Nielsen, um, for the for the winner sort of thing. Sergei Rebrov. Sergei Rebrov. I used to quite like, even though he was he wasn't great. I'm not sure. Do you know what Sergei Rebrov used to like doing in his spare time when he was at Spurs? No, go on. He used to like operating a CB radio. <laughs> Brilliant. Side on. That is that is some great trivia for you there, guys. How many candles you learning? Planted trivia for you. Um, <laughs> what? This. Imagine what you would do if you are a fan of you're just a fan, and you're all there going side on. Yep. Uh, how many candles are you burning? You have a little chat, and then you know that both I think legitimate phrases used on ZB Radio, and then Spin um, is a bit of an expert, yeah. You and then you haven't listened to one podcast about it, and then you uh, it's out of nowhere comes comes out of the very side on and you're like hold on a minute it's 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 the it's the rushkies no it's rebrov shit and then from there it goes downhill <laughs> oh dear um there's only one question to end on guys um john shin the main man writes in saying thanks for the love and shouts on the previous podcast guys john you deserve it he says can trump do it on a cold rainy night at stoke he could do um, it on a cold, rainy night in Florida. Yeah, Trump can do anything. I think. At this um, point. I don't think so. You know, I don't think Messi can do it on a rainy night in Stoke. So I don't think John or Donald Trump can. That's my John, logic anyway. Donald Trump? Did you just <laughs> did you just make you say John Chin with Donald Trump? No, I said Donald. John, did you say Donald Trump? And that was Donald the Trump. moment Tim oh. was all the way for Warcraft. Um, <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Yeah, I'm assuming you guys you, you talked about Donald Trump on, on uh, the Wednesday. Not really. No, really. We kind of, kind of we waited for you to. We, yeah, oh. we, we brushed upon it, and then we said we need the real politic head. Yeah, the real political expert yeah. to come in. Um, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. To be honest, I've been sort of digesting a lot of podcasts, reading a lot of articles, trying to understand, you know, the the logistics of how it happened. You know, in terms of. Who voted for him? Why they voted for him? Which states went for him? Um, I think we we all understand why it happened, but I don't think the why justifies that. Ha- Sorry, we don't understand how it <laughs> happened, but we don't. But uh, but we don't, and therefore we understand why it happened because you know why and how are mixed. But people seem to be mistaking the like the why, uh, the, like the people want to add the why, so it's sort of it's sort of be like. Yeah. Oh, it's because you know. It's because, if if you're on the left, it's it's because of racism. Racism's on the rise, and if you're on the right, it's sort of like, well, it's because you know the the white middle classes were frustrated in America. They didn't feel like they were getting any, and 
ultimately, like, I think it's actually that they were just two really shit candidates. I think um, it is. And the election wasn't as, as, as sort of spread as people thought. It wasn't like, a you know, Obama completely beat out uh, so many p- past, um, uh, you know, the, t- the two previous elections were so pro-Obama, it was ridiculous. But this one was not the same because it, it didn't represent change or the political change people wanted. <laughs> Yeah, I think that there's so many, it's not just one reason, there's so many factors that sort of go into it and sort of have led to this result. And it kind of seems almost obvious in, in hindsight. But like you say, obviously, Hillary Clinton was a massively unpopular candidate. I think you look at the stats for, so Donald Trump got, I think, uh, 100,000 less votes than Mitt Romney got when he lost to Obama in 2012, whereas Hillary Clinton got something like 5 million less votes than Obama did in 2012. So obviously she didn't uh, get the turnout that would have, you know, delivered the White House. She didn't mobilise people, essentially. Exactly, exactly. But that's just one fact, you know, Hillary Clinton being a weak candidate. There's all these other sort of factors going to it. People wanted change. People wanted to to sort of throw this, this, this chaotic sort of candidate into the system, which is Donald Trump. I was just still trying to, to, to see him sit next to Obama there, having that meeting in the White House, just trying to wrap my head around it. It's just, you know, uh, the, the mind boggles. I think so this I think, is also this is also sort of the first election again. Every election is influenced more and more by social media. And I think we're seeing yet another election that's been influenced by the, I don't want to say manipulation, but by a really clever use uh, from the right and not so much the left of social media. Um, and Hillary's use of social media was very conventional. It was quite uh, boring. Donald Trump's use of social media and the use of, you know, movements like the outright and also just the right wing in America, which is Fox News and all those sort of guys, was yeah. clever. You know, they it, it essentially it became about propaganda, and you know, it, it was not about facts anymore. It was about arguing with characters and what facts those characters represented and that, that's really clever because it clouds the water of what is really happening and the fact is that now that he's sort of even you know even just a couple of days into this it's sort of like right well oh actually well maybe the war might not happen uh and maybe there are elements of obamacare that mm. and those people who you know elected him may now be like well hold on a minute no you ran on this you know what i mean um, it's the, the parallels to, to brexit are just really uh, astonishing, I think, you know, to, to see the shock of everyone when actually the results came in overnight, to see, as you say, sort of Donald Trump sort of walking back on a few sort of promises now about Obamacare. You know, you saw it uh, the day after when Farage was saying uh, the money's not going to be spent on the NHS. There's yeah, all these Nigel, sort of... Nigel Farage was very different because Nigel Farage was not officially backed by anyone. Um, whereas actually the Republican Party took Donald Trump under their wing when they realised that they just had a, a field of shit candidates. Well, he sort of, he sort of, uh, he, 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 he sort of was at loggerheads with uh, the Republican Party in in many ways, and he sort of tried to to have a go at Paul Ryan, who's kind of the Speaker of the House, one of the most prominent Republicans in America. So it's it's, I think he came to represent not being the establishment. He's kind of very anti-establishment. At the same time, he's now going to hire a lot of kind of career politicians and those figures into his cabinet. It's really. Uh, yeah, he's I, very I, clever. I like half of me thinks Donald Trump is incredibly stupid, and he says these incredibly obnoxious, xenophobic things. But half of me is that you have to sort of appreciate that he's been very clever, almost to, also to get into but, but there, I mean, I also think he's been somewhat of a puppet for whoever picked him. 
you know, there are a lot of people who picked him. And essentially, I think this works mm. out quite well for the Republican Party because it means they can position people around him who they consider to be people um, who would push their agenda more than anyone else's, um, you know, because this is ultimately a PR campaign for him more than anyone else. Um, yeah, he always the, the, seemed... <laughs> it's almost like he didn't want to win the presidency you know <laughs> he kind yeah, of a little bit. Uh, has got himself in a bit too deep the other interesting thing i think and perhaps more worrying is that it kind of it, like i'm saying about Brexit, it's not just america it's not just britain you know we're seeing we're seeing this sort of rise of almost kind of right-wing politics across europe as well you know the national front in france is looking like they're going to make big gains uh, in that country as well so it's not just something that's isolated to one country or one continent, it seems to be on the rise, which is um, potentially quite worrying. Um, yeah, but as for, the guys you do Farage could... can suck a dick, am I right? <laughs> well, he's, he's Donald Trump's best, best mate now, isn't he? Yeah, they which sort of... I don't need. <laughs> but he was, he's now, there's talk of Nigel Farage is going to be like a special advisor to Trump because he's got, he's in, in the inner circle almost, you know, do and no one in British really, politics do, at the time. Can really... we roll the inner circle down a hill? I mean, it would be preferable. Do you also not find it really weird that both of these men who represent the anti-establishment are both wholly embedded in the establishment? Yes, and filthy rich. They're trying to appeal to the working class. It's kind of like they don't have a clue. If you ever needed a microcosm for 2016, it's the fact that Nigel Farage now looks like potentially being a special ambassador to Europe for Trump. So he will be a foreign migrant worker, having spent most of the year... (laughs) lamenting those same people and demanding that we gain control of our borders. It's yeah. uh, it's been an interesting he's year. An I, think I know we don't talk politics much, but he is an odious twat. I, know I, love, I yeah. do like that phrase. Um, odious, yes, odious twat. Yeah. <laughs> um, Who's guys, your favourite odious twat in football? Yeah, let us know at the front three on Twitter. Um, Get that we, beat machine ready. We... <laughs> are going to be back uh, next week we're actually going to be back on Thursday guys we're, we're, we're changing things up a little bit on the front three here and um, we've decided that we're going to move the podcast from Sundays and Wednesdays to Mondays and Thursdays it's going to give us more time to digest the weekend's football to bring you a better podcast at the end of the day um, so it's all good essentially so we're going to start from this week coming so on Thursday uh, you'll be getting the regular sort of Q&A podcast and we're back on Monday with a recap uh, of the weekend's action, reviewing all the Premier League, uh, as well as some of the key games from around Europe. So until Thursday, uh, guys, Dave, where can the good people find you? Mm, On a vlog on TF3. There's been a few of them. Go and check them out. They're always fun, always good. And you can see me doing some stuff on a skateboard, which is always exciting. Yeah, that's the key bit of the vlog. The skateboarding. Um, Lawrence? Um, probably on the on the YouTube channel as well. Go for it, bang! Uh, the YouTube, just wow. YouTube the front three. Can you YouTube things? Yeah, sure. YouTube the front. Oh three. yeah, of course you can. It's a bad. Uh, Chris, have we got a clean sweep here? Going to be on Red Men TV doing an edition of Glass. Looking forward to us. <laughs> a bit of inside baseball there. Um, guys, do head over to the front three on YouTube. Check out um, the vlog from last week that Lawrence made. Brilliant vlog. Let us know what you think of it. Let us know what you want to see on the channel. All that good stuff. Uh, Until Thursday, have a bloody good week. Bye. Oh, can I also just say, uh, if if you didn't get your question answered today, we might include some of your questions in the vlog.
Mm. Dun, 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 dun. Perfect. Perfect. Mm.